Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Come on, are you excited to be here this morning, church? Come on, Super Bowl Sunday. Come on, Chiefs, who we got? We got Chiefs, any Chiefs fans? 49ers? Jaguars? Man, there's more 49ers fans here than Jaguar fans, Pastor. Oh, goodness. And it's 0202 of 2020. It's the same frontwards and backwards. It hasn't happened in 900 years for the date to be like that. I'm still working on the spiritual significance of it. And we'll get back to you on that. Uh, man, just want to welcome you guys. Excited we ended the fast, our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Hopefully you've... Man, I would think we'd be a lot more excited about that. Unless you've already entered back into gluttony, and then we can take care of that at the altar later. Uh, Pastor Tim Timberlake, how many love Pastor Tim? Yeah? Uh, he's going to be here next week. He'll be back, and, uh, and we're so grateful for him and all that God's done in bringing him to us during this season. And uh, if you guys are cool, can we stand to our feet this morning? Uh, we're going to put some scripture up in Exodus chapter 33. If you want to know what a terrified leader, how he prays, we're going to read a prayer that a, a terrified leader named Moses prayed to God. And we're going to ask the same thing this morning. Exodus chapter 33, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. It says, now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please Show me now your ways. My notes just disappeared. Show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And he's leading a group of people and he says, consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you. So Yahweh responds and says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, then do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Can we just lift our hands to heaven? Father, we cry out like Moses cried out. Would you show us your ways? Show us your ways that we might know you better. But Lord, we also need your presence, God. Your ways without your presence our legalism. Lord, we need your ways, but we need your presence. And Lord, we're asking that you'd mark us as the very people of God, that your presence on us, your presence in us, your presence with us would begin to do something inside of us that reaches the nations, that what we demonstrate tangibly becomes visible to those all around us. How will they know, Lord, that you sent us unless you go with us. And so, Lord, we come as the people of God, hungry, thirsty for righteousness, asking that you'd go before us, go with us, and help us be the example needed 
to see your children come back to your table and we see whole nations be one in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor, tell them how great they are before you sit down. Tell them how great God is. You know, we've been singing about his power this morning, about how he's this way maker. And if you have studied any of God's people's history, Israel's history, you know that there was a season in their history where they went into slavery and captivity in Egypt. And so almost 400 years, God's people remained in a place of captivity. They were enslaved, they were basically day laborers. And they had grown weary, they had grown exhausted, and you fast forward a little bit and God miraculously delivers them. How many love the miraculous delivering power of, of our God? And he, he, he delivers them. And he does it with demonstrations of might and power. He basically in one moment brings these 10 acts, and these 10 acts destroy all these gods of Egypt. And his own people are watching him do these exploits. And they're banking on the promise that this blood that is above their doorpost, so to speak, this blood is gonna somehow keep them covered and protected. And then after that happens, he grabs them by the, the hand and pulls them out of Egypt and sets them on the course of freedom. And we're gonna pick up that account in Exodus chapter 19. It's a, a time in Israel's history when they've come out of bondage and captivity. It's the place that most of us live in as followers of Jesus. It's the place of, I'm delivered now, but not yet. Most of our existence, Pastor Stovall touched on it last week, as exiles, as those that are sojourning in this age, God has set us free. He's brought us out of Egypt, so to speak, right? He opened up a door, but the promise is still not yet. So we live now as those that are free, but we still have a not yet that's taking place. And faith and hope are so important right now because faith is the assurance of things you hope for. It's the conviction of things we can't even see. And so in this season, even though there's a current situation right now, there is a hope of not yet that I am becoming something that he says I can become. And we're becoming the people he says we're supposed to become. If you are taking notes, Write this down. If you're not, listen and lean in closely. If you want to know what your purpose is in this time of human history, it's this. To become an imager of God who is growing up into his likeness so you can bear his name accurately that other nations might come and be saved. I'm becoming an imager who's growing in his likeness so that I can bear his name accurately 
so that when people see me, they get attracted to him. That makes this life worth living. You came here this morning, you didn't know your purpose, God just delivered you and showed you your purpose. This is how families get transformed. This is how cities get transformed. This is how nations get transformed. Individuals and families, by them growing in the likeness of who he says he is and who he says they are. And even though right now things aren't as they could be or should be, we don't let that discourage us from going forward. And so Moses has led the people out and now God takes him to the backside of the wilderness. And it's three months now, they've come through the Red Sea, three months they've been journeying in the wilderness. Within three days of coming through the Red Sea, they got thirsty. How many of you get thirsty would get thirsty after three days? It's normal. After three days of coming through the Red Sea, God's mighty deliverance, three days they get thirsty and there's no water. The first thing that comes out of their mouth is what? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? Three days. And the reality is, on this journey, it's called the journey of becoming, Many times we can forget the breakthrough we just had because we've been so trained by the previous season of slavery and dysfunction that it's hard to trust God. Can we just be honest with each other? It's hard to trust him. Not because there's something wrong with him, because there's been a lot of things wrong with our past. There's been some stuff we bumped into that we never asked for. We got brought into a world that is pretty messed up at times. And so I wanna say this right up front. If you have trust issues with Yahweh, you're in the perfect place. So does everyone else. And what God is trying to do with Israel, it's a picture for us in the church and what he did through Jesus, He's trying to lead them through the place of becoming, the now and not yet, so that he can build their trust. And so instead of smiting them because they were thirsty, a desperate leader named Moses cried out and God said, hey, I'm gonna give you a word of knowledge. See that stick over there? Take that stick and put it in the water. So imagine you're the people following Moses and his solution for this bitter water. They go to tomorrow, right? They start drinking. They can't drink it. Here's what God says. Take a piece of wood and throw it in the water. That wood made the water sweet. They're all little pictures, aren't they? That wood, that, that, that thing that Jesus hung on, that thing takes stuff that's bitter. That cross can take stuff that's bitter and make it sweet. Three months later, they head to the backside of the wilderness and God says to Moses these words. And it's found in Exodus chapter 20. So I'm telling you, God is super patient. He's patient with your mistrust. He understands why you don't trust him. He's not mad at you because you don't trust him. In fact, he would say, bring your unbelief today, bring your mistrust today, 
and he will meet you at that place. Exodus chapter 20, I'm sorry, 19. It says, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain. So the people of Israel have gone to Mount Sinai and they're gathered there and they're waiting on a word. And their leader goes up this mountain and out of the mountain God speaks and he says, you're gonna tell the people this. I want, to t- I want you to tell them the good news. This is how I see them. Can I just tell you how God sees you is the most important issue in your life. The stuff you're going through is not the primary problem. The problem is sometimes not knowing how he sees us. And and he speaks to the nation of Israel, and this is what he says. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, tell all the people, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. He uses this word treasured, and it's a special word. It means a special uh, representative. It's not just treasure, it's treasure with purpose. We got one person excited about God seeing treasure in us. But that's what he sees. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he sees treasure. And there's treasure in earthen vessels, the Bible says. You're my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And in that moment of time, he reveals his intent. I'm gonna make you all ambassadors so that when the nations around you see you, they see me, and even though they were disinherited by me in Genesis 11, you go back and study, God disinherited the nations, assigned them to lesser gods, because here's what happens in human history. Started in the garden. God says, I'm gonna make man in our image. Yeah, he says, let's make them in our image. He had made all the other creatures, all the other crawling animals, all the flying birds. He made everything, and he said it was good. But then he says, we're gonna make man in our image and in our likeness, two different words. And what it means to form someone in his image, it means he's distinct. You are an imager of God, not because of your morality, not because of your sexuality, not because of your eating habits, not because of your movie preferences, not because of any lifestyle. You're an imager because he made you completely distinct from every other creature on the planet. You are made in his image. Every color, every age, every human on the planet. This has nothing to do with whether they look like him morally or not. It has everything to do that he made them and set them apart from every other creature. This is why as the church we always side with life when it comes to abortion. It's not because we believe that baby in the wound is morally good. 
It's because that baby, that DNA, those strands that have been woven together, they will one day manifest into a human being who can think, make choices, have reason, and have a conscience. That's why we side with life. And so we're not only formed in his image, we've got the capacity to become like him in his likeness. Adam and Eve are the picture of when the spirit of God comes into clay, they're born from above, and once the spirit comes into a vessel of clay, now you have the capacity to actually become like him. And that's why Jesus said in John 3, unless you're born again, you can't really see the kingdom. Because when you're born again, his ruach, his spirit, fills the temple, so to speak, and now you've got the deposit, and that deposit on the inside of you is living and active, right? And now you actually can become like him. You're already formed in his image, But when you're born in the natural, apart from Jesus, you're born in the natural, your capacity to become like him is severely crippled until he actually dwells in you. Pause for just a second. Think about that. When I was born, I was born in his image. When I got born again, I became capable of becoming like him. Did you know that God put a desire in you to be like him? The desire to be like God is not sin. See, the enemy in Genesis 3, here's what he did. I'm gonna take the desire that God put in them to be like him, I'm gonna lead them over here into some secret knowledge, and I'm gonna teach them how to become like him without having to do it his way. That's where the occult, secret knowledge stuff comes from. It's this idea we're gonna get secret knowledge. This divine being had the knowledge of Yahweh. He had insight into good and evil. See, God told them, you can eat from any tree. The more you walk with me in the cool of the day, the more you eat from these trees, you're gonna become like me. His idea was be around me, eat freely, start working, do the thing I've called you to do, spend time with me, grow up into my likeness through relationship with me. And the serpent goes, no, let's take a shortcut. Let's try to figure out how to be like him by knowing. He says, listen, here's what, here's what God's doing to you guys. He's holding out on you. He knows that as soon as you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're gonna be like him. Now the problem with that is, it takes a really special being to be able to know how to perform evil and not do it. Because once you know evil, you now have the capacity to actually perform it. You also know good, but sometimes, don't, have you noticed this little thing inside of you? It's easier to do evil than good sometimes. Am I talking to the right group? I mean, there's a reality, right, that, 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 that Paul understood. 
And so the key is not getting discouraged when the knowledge of evil pops up. The key is how do we grow in the likeness of who Jesus is, who Yahweh is, so that we take the knowledge of good and evil and we only do good. And so we gotta know the difference between image and likeness. Because you and I are called to love every single human being on the planet. And here's why, because they're formed in his image. Not because they treat me good. Not because they behave well, not because they believe like me, not because they have the same preferences I have. Not because they identify with certain things I identify with. It's because he formed them, wove them together in their mother's womb with the DNA he wanted and formed them in his image. But what happens through the course of the sinful time, the fall, they fell, then the nature of man, something inside of us got bent a different direction. And so confusion starts settling in and we get confused in our likeness. We get confused sexually, we get confused with our cravings, we get confused. And in that disillusionment, in that confusion, we start operating from the likeness that we've adapted to. A household that doesn't have Yahweh at the center, doesn't have Jesus at the center, is a household that is basically saying, next generation, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna learn from me my habits, and when you grow up, you're gonna repeat my habits because we had nothing to break up that habit. That's why generation, okay. How many of you said with your parents' stuff, I'm never gonna be like that when I become a parent. I'm never gonna do that. And then you do it. Because usually Christ didn't come and intercept, didn't come and invade and break up the habitat. And so we conform to the habitat we live in. We conform to those around us. So if dad's dysfunctional and Jesus isn't around, then the children learn how to adapt to dysfunction. I'm saving you a lot of money on counseling right now. Like a ton. The issue is about likeness. It has nothing to do with your image. Our whole culture is image, image, image. Settle that thing and say, I have been formed in the image of Yahweh, the supreme being of the universe. So... So let's move into this likeness thing. How many of you want to be like him? Come on, you came this morning. There's something in you that goes, I want to be like God. I want to be around other people that want to be like him. Amen. It's so important for us because we're going to give God so much glory in this season. We're, you know, this whole thing is love language. Love language. And God comes to the people of Israel and he brings them to Mount Sinai. He declares they're his treasured possession. And here's what he does in Exodus 20. He gives them a new playbook. 
I remember when I would come into training camp, we'd come, we'd show up at the facility and we'd go into to training and they'd throw in front of us a massive playbook. And inside of that playbook was the expectations of the entire organization. So we had Tom Coughlin then, so it was massive. And, and, and so that was a joke, but, but it, was, it was like, it was said in there, you're late for a meeting if you're not early. And so there's all these things, and, and it was up to us as players to hear what the expectation was of the leader. God does something brilliant here. He takes an insecure, feeble people, and he reveals to them his intent, and he reveals how culture in his kingdom works. Now that I've set you apart and made you distinct, Here's a new set of ways to live because everybody else in the Near East, if you go study it, they were so insecure, they never knew what their God ever expected. Our God is not like that. He tells you exactly what to expect. He's amazing. And so he says this, hey, I've got a great idea. I want an exclusive relationship with you. No other gods. I'm the dude, I delivered you. I chose you. All I need is you. And then he goes, okay, on top of that, don't, don't, don't try to make any images of me or anything in heaven. Parents, how many of you have, like, have had a two-year-old try to draw you? <laughs> That's what idolatry looks like. A four-year-old trying to draw Yahweh. And he looks like half elephant, half man, hippopotamus. Have you ever looked at other gods' images? I think Yahweh laughs. He says, don't do that. You're gonna be so far off. And then he does something different. He goes, you know the difference between us and other gods? I actually am gonna fill you. You're gonna be my idol. You're my living representation. I'm gonna inhabit you. I'm gonna be with you. You actually are gonna image me. And the more you become like me, the more accurate you do that, the more people are gonna feel loved. And then the third commandment is, is vital. He says, don't take my name in vain. Somehow in America, we've made this about cursing. That's so easy. How hard is that to not say his name in a curse word? Now, before I got born again, it was super hard. <laughs> but now that I'm born again, I, there's nothing in me that goes, that's even, so, so don't think that. Think this, take actually means bear, lift up. He's saying, don't lift up my name inaccurately because you're gonna lead people away from me. And then he gives, teaches them about rest. Teaches them, hey, here's a good place to start in biblical community, don't kill each other. <laughs> don't take somebody else's spouse. Be nice to the elderly. Honor those above you. Don't covet somebody else's stuff. Don't steal. Don't lie. 
honor each other because everyone is formed in my image. And the more you learn to grow up into who he is and what he expects, the more you start looking like him. Isn't that cool? And, and then Paul, Paul goes, hey, how many married couples do we have in here? Paul says, hey, married couples, if you learn how to more accurately image and demonstrate likeness about who he is, you're gonna have a wife that's super hot for you. You're gonna become so attractive because you look more like me. And so submission and obedience and all these words that we sometimes don't like, like husbands, what does it mean to lay down your life? You understand like these impossible tasks, but you go by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, the highest expression Jesus said in John 15, he said, man, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And he said, there's no greater love than this than when a man lays down his life for another. The greatest expression of love for us followers of Jesus is when people look at us and we lay our lives down. We, 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 we consider their needs above our own. This isn't just better morality. This is growing up into his likeness. See, if you make this about behavior, you're gonna miss everything I'm saying because behavior without the spirit is legalism. Knowledge without relationship is Gnosticism. And so he's training this people how to be a priest. You know what a priest does? He represents God to people. You know who we are? Look at your neighbor and say, you are one of the greatest priests on this planet. You hold such capacity in you. Your priestly service unto him is amazing. How many of you worshiped this morning when we were singing? Great job, way to priest. How many of you gave this morning? Wow. How many of you love somebody when they came in this morning? <laughs> Look at us, we're just a bunch of priests. That's what priests do. They try to become more like their God and then they try to represent him well to everybody around them. Can I read you guys something? And then we'll pray for you. I've got 80 some scriptures that go into this message. 80. Somebody just vomited because I had 80. I heard a dry heave. All right. 80 scriptures. Thank you for being honest and open. Priests are truthful. I'm just gonna read. I got this two days ago. I was just in the, sitting in the presence of the Lord and I know it's him because it's way more eloquent and smarter than anything I could come up with. 
It says, when we're born in the natural, we're born in his image, distinct from every other species and creature. Our capacity to grow into his likeness is severely limited and crippled because of the fall. When we're born again, we're born from above. We're one with God as his spirit becomes one with our spirit and resurrects us to spiritual life. We now have a new nature, the nature of Yahweh. This means we're not only made in his image, but now we have the capacity to grow into his likeness. His attributes, as we learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we learn to draw from the deposit already made in us through the Holy Spirit. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice daily, yielding the members of our body as instruments dedicated to imaging him in righteousness. We have had a radical change of status, dead to alive, transferred from darkness to light, dead to new creations, lost now found and chosen, unholy to holy, disloyal to royal. We're now his treasured possessions and considered allies and friends. He gives us instructions and commands and ordinances, ways, wills, desires, and laws. These are given to us as a means to develop into a more accurate likeness into who he actually is. He gives us his word, he gives us his spirit to help us more accurately bear his name, so our faith in imaging is not in vain. These become a resource of helping us live out the treasure he says we are. We actually bear witness to how he truly sees us. As we honor and obey, he gets glory out of clay vessels. He knows that we are but dust, spirit-filled clay, yet he's willing to invest Holy Spirit in us. He banks on us. He chooses us to be his living idol. We grow into his likeness. We become very effective in our ability to reach others. His name is now written over us and wherever we go, we bear his name. Our imaging can be accurate or not accurate depending on our willingness to yield to his spirit and his word our willingness to not conform to the patterns of this world, which are primarily our formal desires and former desires and lusts, our willingness to daily work out our salvation, to work out what he has already willed and worked in us. Our lives now become a living sacrifice that images Yahweh to an alienated world filled with alienated family members. Our lives count. We're being conformed to his image and thus being prepared for the age to come when we will rule and reign with Christ. Our marriages, our families, our singles, our students, our elderly, our young, we all have the opportunity to image him accurately. We renew our minds by not allowing our minds to catch up. We renew our minds by allowing our minds to catch up to what the spirit has already put in us. We don't just grow in our likeness, my keyboard is jumping all over. <laughs> Just forget it, it's messing up. The reason I'm crying, man, is that like there's no one that can't do this. Like, You wanna know what makes me mad is when an enemy comes and goes, you're not treasure, you're trash. And I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know where you're at with this Yahweh or where you're at with Jesus or where you're at with the Holy Spirit, but I know you're here. 
and you're in God's family and you're in God's house. And if you don't know him, because I'll tell you this, man, there's nothing more frustrating than knowing you were created for a purpose, but you continuously hit, fail to hit the mark. You try to be like God, but you can't do it. And that's why we gotta be born again. Man, before I was saved, I wanted to be like God as a husband, but I couldn't do it. The previous generational stuff was too strong. And then one night I rolled up into a Bible study and met Jesus and all of a sudden he short-circuited everything. And I wish you knew how much he just radically loved you. Like all your flaws, all your issues, all your past. <laughs> He's just madly in love with us. And we sometimes forget that. Today, if you don't know him, he could write his name over your life. Yahweh could be written over you. His spirit can come into you. You can be born again from above and you can start becoming like him like never before. If you've already been born again and you're struggling with your likeness stuff, he can do something today by his resurrected power. He can awaken you back up to your designated purpose and you don't have to image incorrectly anymore. You can be set free today. Your addictions will get swallowed up in this ability to draw near and yield yourself. Why do we do foundations? Why do we do freedom classes? Why do we do the supernatural school of ministry? Why do we do all this stuff? Why do we do what we're doing this morning? I will tell you, if I was you, I would jump into every single thing you could right now, even if it's outside of here, jump into everything you can to become more like him. because this is all about a dad who has an older son who's outside the house and a younger son who ran away. God wants to bring the older son in, the Jews are gonna come back in, and he's also bringing the Gentiles, and the two are gonna become one and they're gonna get back at dad's table. This is what's at stake. Your life counts. Your life as a student counts. Your life as a single person counts. How you steward your sexuality counts. How you steward your mind counts. You waiting for that time counts. You divorcing yourself from the spirit of this age, I'm telling you, get with the Holy Spirit like never before. The Apostle Peter said, you're a chosen nation. You're a royal priesthood. You are this holy nation. You've been set apart. <laughs> to offer sacrifices acceptable to God. And that's our praise. That's our worship. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.